right. Well, one year ago, this week, the World Health Organization declared that we were in a worldwide pandemic due to the COVID-19 virus. And as many of you remember turning on the television to watch the ACC tournament, only to see an empty coliseum along with empty basketball courts and see tournaments across the nation canceled. And over the next weeks, we watched in horror as hospitals in New York and L.A. and Seattle and around the world were filled to capacity with COVID-19 patients. There was an immense fear that we would run out of ventilators and PPE. And there was some thought that doctors would have to decide who they would save and who they would simply let die. Initially, we were told that the virus was transmitted more through touch. And so hand sanitizer and soap quickly vanished along with toilet paper. And we don't understand why from grocery store shelves. And then we learned that it was transmitted through the air, and so everyone was asked to wear masks, social distance, and continue to wash your hands. In those first few months, we wondered if the summer would bring an end to the virus, only to discover that COVID-19 seemed to thrive no matter what the weather. So as we entered the fall, remote learning continued, telecommuting became the new norm, And all of us wept as we watched the numbers of souls that were lost increase day after day. Over this past year, we have lost friends and family members. We've lost Easter, graduation ceremonies, Independence Day celebrations, visits with our elderly parents and grandparents Dinners and friends' homes, Labor Day celebrations, Thanksgiving and Christmas with friends and family, and the opportunity to gather together to say goodbye to those who had passed away. The pandemic of 2020 has taken over 500,000 American souls and millions more around the world. It has robbed us of time with loved ones that we will never get back. And it has taken away the one thing that has always gotten us through our tragedies, a hug from a friend, a shared meal, an opportunity to put our arms around one another in worship service and collectively cry out to God. The pandemic has been one of the most life-altering traumatic events in our lifetimes. And just as it swept across the world last March, due to God's grace and his goodness and the ingenuity of incredible researchers and medical professionals, we now have an effective vaccine to combat the virus. And as more and more people get their shots, we are seeing the numbers in the hospitals trend down and the numbers of cases decrease. And this week, the CDC came out and loosened some of the restrictions regarding masks and social distancing for those who've been vaccinated. There is a cautious optimism arising in the hearts and minds of men and women and children in the states and in 
as the end in the world. As kids go back to school, graduations are being planned, and talk about getting back to some normalcy seems actually attainable by this summer. And while we're all excited about what's in front of us, for us to be able to reconnect with one another in healthy ways, we need to first take time to process the trauma and the wounds that we've all experienced. I tell my clients all the time, like in the movie Shawshank Redemption, the path to healing and redemption comes through crawling through a mile-long pipe of sewage. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Therefore, for us to experience peace, to be able to shake hands with strangers again, to be able to enter into one another's homes freely again, to be able to sit beside one another without mask in the sanctuary again and boldly lift our voices to the Lord, to be able to hug one another again, we need to honor what we have been through and, God, and ask God to heal our wounds. And as I was talking to God about how I might help us lead us on this journey from recovery to reconnecting, he brought to mind the book of Ruth, a book which in the first five verses, the characters experience incredible trauma. And by the end of the book, we see the Lord's amazing redemption. So this week and next week, we're going to begin our journey looking at chapter one and talking about recovery. And then the third and fourth weeks, we're going to look at chapters two and four as we discuss what it means for us to reconnect with one another. And let me just um, pause and say, probably like no other sermon series that I've ever done in the past 12 years. Each of us will get out of this series what we are willing to put into it. I often tell people that they have to do their own work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit to experience healing. And so I want to encourage you over the next four weeks to pull out your journals, spend some time reflecting on the past year, as well as exploring what does it mean to hope in the year ahead. I'd also encourage us corporately to enter into conversations discussing these things in our community groups and youth group with our friends, family, and neighbors. The temptation for all of us would be to live as victims of the pandemic and to continue to stay in survival mode. Whereas I believe God desires for us to live as survivors and slowly begin to reconnect with those here at Hope Chapel and beyond. And so this morning, we're going to take our first look at the trauma that Naomi endured. And then we're going to consider the damage that resulted from that trauma. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for your goodness. We're grateful that it feels like we're beginning to turn the corner in the midst of this pandemic. And yet, Lord, we want to honor 
the trauma that we've gone through and the wounds that all of us have experienced. Lord, I know Satan would love to distract us from that. Would love for us just to live in denial or just say that's behind. We're going to look forward. But you know, for us to look forward, we have to remember the past. And so give us eyes over these next weeks. Give us time over the next weeks to process what we've all been through. So that you might bring healing in our hearts, in our community, in our city, and in our world. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them or you can look in your bulletin. And the first thing that I want us to look at is the trauma that Naomi endured. Often when we think about the book of Ruth, we jump to the happy ending where Ruth and Boaz marry. Ruth gives birth to a son and Naomi's joy is restored. But as we look at chapter 1, it reads like a Greek tragedy. As Naomi suffers one traumatic event after another. The first of these events was a famine in Bethlehem. We're not given a lot of details about this famine in verse 1. But we do know that the famine occurred during the time when judges ruled And God had not yet established kings over Israel. Now, famines in the ancient Near East were horrific events, which often lasted for many years. Men, women, and children were forced to live on minimal to no food or water, which resulted in horrific malnutrition and painful choices, deciding who to feed and who to let die. This was the setting in which Elimelech and Naomi found themselves in Bethlehem. And this is the setting in which they gave birth to two sons. Whose names represent the pain and heartache that they were enduring. Maon literally means sick and weak. And Chilion means Wasting away. For years, this family did everything they could to survive the family, the famine. But the author tells us that when Malon and Chilion were young adults, Elimelech and Naomi, they had no choice but to flee in order to survive. They needed to leave everything they knew, the people they loved, and sojourn to a land of Moab. Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar for the past year that we've gone through? And so Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons, they trade one trauma for another. As they live amongst strangers, all alone in a foreign land. And you might be thinking, surely things must have gotten better after moving to Moab. But as we read on in chapter one, the author tells us, that actually things got worse as Naomi faced yet another horrific crisis. The text tells us that after settling in Moab, her beloved husband passed away. The pain and heartache must have been immense. First to endure a famine and then 
to stand helplessly as she watched her husband die. But all wasn't lost because our text tells us that Malon and Chilion marry Moabite wives, Orpah and Ruth, certainly with the hopes of having children and putting down roots in Moab, certainly hoping to have some sense of normalcy. But the text tells us that 10 years passed and there was no children that were conceived. For 10 years, they struggled with infertility. And then Naomi experiences more loss with the death of her two sons. Now, I've never had children, but I'm told there is absolutely no greater grief this side of heaven than a person, a mom or dad who has to bury their son or daughter. And in such a short period of time, Naomi had not only buried her husband, she now stood over the graves of her two sons that were laid to rest. Naomi's heart must have been ripped in two. And it is no wonder in verses 20 through 21, when she arrives back in Bethlehem, she says to those who welcomed her, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi faced one horrific trauma after another. She experienced a famine, a move to a foreign land, To live among a people that she perceived as inferior. The loss of her husband. The loss of her grandchildren. And then the death of both of her sons. She had no one left to provide for her or to protect her. All of these events called immense damage. Deep wounds of powerlessness. Isolation, loneliness, and ambivalence in Naomi. And it is these wounds that caused her to walk with a limp as she returned to Bethlehem. And like Naomi, due to the pandemic, we too have experienced similar wounds of powerlessness, isolation, and ambivalence. And while it would be tempting to deny the damage, I love what Dan Allender, a counselor and a professor in Seattle, says about addressing our wounds. He says, a proper focus on the deep wound is therefore neither negative, nor does it promote despair. Rather, it sets the stage for the dramatic work of God. And so, in the remaining time this morning, we're going to unpack these three wounds that many of us have suffered due to the pandemic. We're going to look at the damage of the trauma that we've all experienced. And the first wound that I think is common to all of us is a deep sense of powerlessness. The pandemic has created in all of us this sense that we are powerless. Dan Allender says one of the most precious gifts 
God has placed in the human soul is the ability to choose. God yielded to men and women the freedom to make choices that matter. But trauma such as famine, the loss of a husband and two sons, and for us, the trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic cuts deeper than the ordinary frustration of life where we are out of control. The trauma that Naomi faced and that we face strips a person of the God-given freedom to choose in the areas that matter most to him or her. Naomi was stripped of any choice when it came to living, leaving Bethlehem and moving her family to Moab. And you might say, well, Elimelech and her could have stayed in Judah, but to stay meant certain death. So the choice to leave was thrust upon her. The famine left them powerless, stripping them of their humanity. And likewise, the pandemic was such a great force that it has stripped us of our ability to choose. Over a course of several weeks, we all went from having some semblance of autonomy to being completely out of control. Our world was literally turned upside down in a way that none of us had ever experienced. The experts knew very little about the virus, leaving them guessing and searching for answers. And while we each tried to do what we could to mitigate the virus by wearing masks, social distancing, and washing our hands, the virus seemed to have no bounds. And it even chose those who were most careful. The pandemic did incredible damage to what God instilled in us from the beginning of creation, the ability to choose. And it left us feeling angry and depressed and anxious. Suicides have been at an all-time high over the past year. In my conversations with friends and neighbors and family members, people that have never struggled with depression have admitted that their mood is darkened. And they've struggled to concentrate, eat, and for some of them, even to get out of bed. Feelings of fear and anxiety are pervasive. And many of us have found ourselves irritable and angry, even when we're not driving. These feelings are a result of a deep sense of powerlessness that the pandemic has called. And each of us, in our own unique ways, have have tried to develop strategies to survive, to deal with our powerlessness. For some of us, it's been to read and research everything pertaining to the virus so as to attempt to take back some level of control. For others of us, it's been to downplay the virus and the effects. And for others, it's been it's to become rigid and dogmatic, whether that be anti-mask and social distancing or pro-mask and social distancing. And for others, we've dealt with our powerlessness by trying to be helpers and be great neighbors. The damage of our powerlessness leaves us with a plethora of unwanted emotions and strategies to take back control. 
But as all of us can attest to over the past year, no matter what we've tried, the reality is due to this global pandemic, we could not escape our own sense of powerlessness. And so one wound that Naomi experienced and that we all experienced due to the pandemic was a sense of powerlessness. A second wound that we've all experienced because of the pandemic is isolation and loneliness. We were created for relationships. We were created for community. But what we see in the first chapter of Ruth is that Naomi's community was taken away from her. First, as she and her family flee Bethlehem, and secondly, through the tragic loss of her husband and two sons. And then likewise, one of the greatest harms of this pandemic has done to us is to separate us from our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and our brothers and sisters, even here at Hope Chapel. I was talking with some seminary friends the other day. And we were talking about how incredibly lonely this past year has been for all of us. Yes, some of them had their nuclear families to spend time with, but all of us were separated from our extended families and friends. The pandemic has taken a huge sledgehammer to social gatherings. And while we've all gotten creative and every one of us knows what Zoom is, and other social media platforms, I think we can all attest to the fact that virtual gatherings fall woefully short of what God intends for us. And it's left our souls aching for more connection. The pandemic has heightened the level of isolation that was already common this side of heaven. And this heightened level of loneliness has led to greater physical health problems. And for many of us, has caused us to relapse into drug, alcohol, sex, food, or some other type of addictive behavior to survive. I know for me, touch is one of my love languages. And it's a way that I feel connected to those around me. And I was thinking this week, due to the fact that I'm single and the nature of the virus is that we needed social distance... I don't think I have given or received more than 10 hugs in 12 months. I'm talking about serious touch deprivation. And when the CDC says we can touch one another again, I want to warn all of you guys to watch out. uh, Because I'm probably going to be all over you. The truth is, this pandemic has caused incredible damage. It's given us a sense of powerlessness, but it's also damaged us in such a way that it's isolated us and created an incredible loneliness. And a third and final wound that I want us to I want to mention to us this morning is a deep sense of ambivalence. Ambivalence is not a term that we use a lot. It can be defined as feeling two contradictory emotions at the same time or experiencing two contradictory desires at the same time. Trauma like the one Naomi experienced and that we've experienced over the past year often creates in us ambivalence. 
Because on the one hand, in order to survive over the past year, we've had to isolate and stay away from people. So a part of us is now trained to walk on the other side of the road when we see people coming toward us or to stand five feet away from friends or to not enter into neighbors' homes. While another part of us, as the restrictions are loosened, another part of us desires to connect, desires to move closer than five feet, desires to stay on the same side of the sidewalk so we can greet those who are coming toward us. Before the pandemic, most of us did not have these two contradictory emotions and desires going on us inside of us. But due to the damage of the pandemic, we now find ourselves wanting two opposite things. A part of us wants to be alone and isolated and protected. And a part of us wants to connect and move toward others. I have experienced ambivalence a lot over the course of this past year. A part of me at times wanted to practice social distance so that I can stay healthy and keep those around me healthy. And then another part of me wants to take my mask off and move toward others. This ambivalence is exhausting. And if it's left unaddressed, can lead to continued distance in our relationships long after the pandemic is over. And so, one wound of the pandemic is powerlessness. A second wound is isolation and loneliness. And a third wound is ambivalence. In the first chapter of Ruth, Naomi experienced all three. Her world was turned completely upside down, leaving her feeling powerless and alone. And in due to her incredible losses, you can hear in her tone as she talks to Orpah and Ruth a deep sense of ambivalence in terms of what she wants them to do and what she wants for herself moving forward. Likewise, we too have experienced powerlessness, isolation, and ambivalence. And as I close this morning, I want to encourage you to spend time asking yourself a few questions this week. To help you process. And I want to encourage you to write these questions down. And we'll send them out in the e-letter as well. I really want, if you want to do the hard work of processing this pandemic, to really take time to answer these questions. The first question. How have you experienced the damage of powerlessness this year? And what strategies did you employ to deal with your powerlessness? How have you experienced the damage of powerlessness this year? And what strategies did you employ to deal with your powerlessness? Question number two. How has loneliness touched your life over the past year? And what have you used or employed to cope with your loneliness? How has loneliness touched your life over the past year? And what have you used to cope with your loneliness? Question number three. 
What contradictory emotions and desires have you experienced as a result of the pandemic? What contradictory emotions and desires have you experienced as a result of the pandemic? Take time to name the ambivalence inside of you. And then the fourth and last question. What other wounds have you experienced due to the pandemic? And how have you coped with them? What other wounds have you experienced due to the pandemic? And how have you coped with them? Next week, we're going to spend time talking about how we continue on this healing path from the pandemic. We're going to look at what it looks like for us to lament the loss of this past year. And we're going to look at all these coping mechanisms and strategies that we've used to survive have been good things for the most part. But if we continue with those coping mechanisms and strategies, they're going to keep us from what we desire most and what we were created for, and that is relationships. And so we're going to look at next week, what does it look like for us to repent of the strategies, to turn away from those strategies, and to take on new strategies to begin to move toward one another. The book of Ruth shows us that calamity knows no bounds, and it results in a lot of damage. And over the past year, we have discovered that COVID-19 has no bounds. And it has resulted in some deep, deep wounds in our souls. I believe with all my heart that God wants us and is giving us permission to acknowledge the pain and suffering that we have endured. To acknowledge the wounds and the strategies we use to survive. And as we do that, and we do the hard work individually, and I encourage you corporately in your community groups to talk about these things, I believe that God will show up. He will bring good out of harm and redemption so that our joy might be restored. Amen.